0: CHAPTER Twelve OF THE CITY OF FIRE BY GRACE LIVINGSTON HILL THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. CHAPTER Twelve. As the shades of evening had drawn down, two figures that had been lurking all day in the fastness of Lone Valley over beyond the state highway stole forth and crept stealthily under cover to Stark Mountain. A long time they lingered in the edge of the woods till the dark was velvet black around them before the moon arose. Then slowly... Cautiously, they drew near the haunted house, observing it long and silently from every possible angle, till satisfied that no enemy was about. Yet, taking no chances even then, the taller one crept forth from shelter while the other watched. So stealthily he went that even his companion heard no stir. It was some ten minutes that Shorty waited there in the bushes, scarcely daring to breathe, while Link, painfully quiet, inch by inch encircled the house and listened, trying the front door first and finding it fast, softly testing the cellar windows one by one, beginning from the eastern end, going toward the front first, and so missing the window by which Billy had entered. A hundred times his operation was halted by the sound of a rat scuttling across the floor, or racketing in the wall, but the hollow echoes assured him over and over again that the house was not occupied, at least not by anyone awake and in his senses. Link had been in the business so long that he felt when there was an enemy near. That was what vexed him now. He had felt that morning that someone was near, but he had laid it to nerves and the reported ghost, and had not heeded his trained faculties. He was back now doubly alert to discover the cause and make good his failure in the morning. He had undertaken to look after this guy and see this job through, and there was big money in it. He was heavily armed and prepared for any reasonable surprise. He meant to get this matter straight before morning. So, feeling his way along in the blackness, listening, halting at every moment with bated breath, he came at last to the back door, and drawing himself up to the steps, took the knob in his hand and turned it. To his surprise it yielded to his touch, and the door came open. And yet it was some seconds of tense listening before he let himself down to the ground again, and with his hand in the grass let out a tiny winking flashlight no more than a firefly would flicker, and out again. This was answered by a wink from the bushes as if the same firefly or its mate might be glowing, and after an instant another wink from the ground near the house. Slowly Shorty arrived without noise, his big bulk muffling in fat the muscles of velvet. It was incredible how light his step could be, professionally. It was as if he had been wafted there like down. Silently, still, and without communication, the two drifted into the open door, sent a searching glowworm ahead into the crannies of the dusty, musty kitchen, surprising a mouse that had stolen forth domestically. The door being shut and fastened cautiously, the key in Link's pocket, they drifted through the swing door as air might have circulated, identifying the mouse's scuttle, the rattle of a rat among the loose coal in the cellar bin, the throaty chirp of a cricket outside in the grass, and drifting on. Thus, they searched the lower floor, even as Billy had done, though more thoroughly, and mounted to the landing above. Here they divided Shorty at watch in the hall while Link went to the front rooms first and searched each hastily, not omitting closets, ending at the back room where the prisoner had been. He's gone, said Link in a hoarse whisper, speaking for the first time after a hasty scanning of the shadowy place. Shorty took the precaution to turn the key of the door leading to the third story before he entered to investigate. Do you think it was him fired that shot? Link shook his head. Couldn't. I had him lifted up in my arms and was just handing him somewhere dope when the sound came. It seemed it was out front. It must have been somebody in the front room. Sure, that guy never could have got them bracelets off hisself. Look a here. Them was filed off. They stood with the flashlight between them, examining the handcuffs, and then turned their attention to the rest of the room, studying the bed and floors carefully for any traces of the possible assistant to the runaway but finding none. Then they went in the front room again, and this time discovered the lowered window and the little half-moon aperture in the shutter. "'How do you figure it?' asked Shorty, turning a ghastly face toward Link in the plaited darkness of the flashlight. "'Pat!' said Link laconically. "'Pat?' "'Pat!' He's yella. I told Sam, but he would have him. I ain't sure, but Sam's yella. I think I'm about done with this outfit. But Pat? What would he do it for? Goin' to run the whole game himself, perhaps, or then again he might be in with Sam, so they won't have to divvy up. He could say we hadn't kept out contract, you know, running away like that. We ain't to blame. How'd we know it would want the police? We had a mighty close shave over that state line this a.m., Well, that's what he could say, and refuse to divvy up. But believe me, Shorty, nobody's going to do me dirty like that. Somebody's been doing us dirty, you and me, and it's good and right we beat him to it. Yes, but how you going to do it? I ain't sure yet, but I'm going to do it. The first thing, Shorty, is for us to get out of here mighty good and quick. If anybody's watching around, we better not be here. We'll fade away. See?" Without flash or noise they faded, going cautiously out by the front door this time, and disappearing into the dark of the woods just as the horizon over Lone Valley began to show luminous in the path of the oncoming moon. They walked several miles, stealthily, and a mile or two more naturally, before they ventured on a word, and then shorty impatiently, "'I don't see what you can do. What are you going to do?' Don't get excited, Shorty. I see my way out, said Link affably. I didn't come off here half-cocked. I investigated before I took on the job. What do you mean? Well, I just looked up the parties in the blue book before I come off. Didn't have much time, but I just looked them up. Great thing, that blue book. Gives you lots of information. Then I got another thing, a magazine I always buy and keep on hand. It's called The House Lovely, and it has all these great gentlemen's places put down in pictures, with plans and everything. It's real handy when you want to find out how to visit them, sort of intimate-like, and it kind of broadens your mind. It's a real pity you never learn to read, Shorty. There's nothing like it for getting valuable information. I read a lot and I always remember anything that's worthwhile. I don't see how that's doing us any good now, growled Shorty. Don't get hasty, Shorty. I'm coming to it. You see, these here Shaftons have been on my mind for some while back. I'll make it a point to know about guys like that. I read the society columns and keep posted about little details. It pays, shorty. Now see, I happen to know that these here Shaftons have several summer homes, one in the mountains, one at the seashore, one up at an island out in the ocean, and a farm down in Jersey where they go at Christmas for the holidays sometimes. Well, just now I happen to know Mrs. Shafton, that's this guy's mother, is down at the Jersey house all alone with the servants. Real handy for our purposes, ain't it? "'Not so far we can't get there by morning if we half try, "'and the old man is off out, west on a business trip.' "'What you going to do?' asked Shorty. "'Well, I haven't exactly got it all doped out yet, "'but I reckon our business is with the old lady. "'Let's beat it as fast as we can to a trolley "'and dope it out as we go. "'You see, this here old woman is nuts on her son, "'and she's lousy with money and don't care how she spends it, "'so her baby boy is pleased.' "'Now, I figure if we could come off with five thousand apiece, "'you and I, we'd be doing a good night's work, and no mistake. "'What do you say?' "'Sure thing,' grumped Shorty, unbelievably. "'You see,' continued Link, "'we're in bad, this guy scapin' and all, "'and like as not Pat swipin' all the boodle "'and layin' the blame onto us. "'You can't tell what might happen with Pat and Sam, "'the dirty devils. "'They might even let it come to a trial "'and testify against us. "'Sam has it in for me and you this long time,' "'Count of that last pretty little safe blowout that didn't materialize, see?' Shorty growled gloomily. "'Now, on the other hand, if we can step in before it is too late, "'or before the news of his having escaped gets to his fond parents "'and get in our little work, we might at least make expenses out of it "'and beat it out of the country for a while. "'I've been thinking of South America for my health for some time past. "'How about you?' "'Suits me, but how you going to work it?' "'Well, you see, I know a little bit about women.' and I seen this woman once. If she was one of these here new-fangled political kind, you couldn't do nothing with her. She'd be on to you in no time and have ye up for the Supreme Court before she got done. But this here woman is one of them old-fashioned useless kind that's afraid of everything and cries easy and gets scared at her shatter. I seen her on the boardwalk once with her husband, took notice to her, thought I might need it sometime. She has gray hair, but she ain't never growed up. She was riding in a wheeled chair, and him walking beside her and a man behind pushing her and a maid coming along with a fur coat. she never done a thing for herself, not even think, and that's the kind you could put anything over on from a tea party to a blizzard without her suspecting the thing. Shorty, I'm going to make up to Mrs. Shafton and see what I can get out of her, but we gotta get a trolley line down to Unity and catch that evening train, see?' About half-past ten that night, with the moon at full sail, Shorty and Link, keeping the shady side of the street, slunk into a little obscure and as yet unsuppressed saloon in a back street in a dirty little manufacturing city not many miles from Unity. Just off the side entrance was a back hall in which lurked a dark, smelly little telephone booth under a staircase, too far removed from the noisy crowd that frequented the place to be heard. Here Link took instant refuge with Shorty, bulking largely in front of the door, smoking a thin black twisted cigar, and looking anything but happy. He had figured greatly on getting his share of a million, and now at a single shot he had let it go through his fingers. There were reasons why he needed that part of a million at once. Link had all sorts of nerve. He called up the Shafton home in New Jersey and Jolly the maid, calling her girly, and saying he was in the employ of young Lori Shafton, and had a special private message from the young man to his mother." It was not long before the peevish elderly voice in his ear said, "'Well, Mrs. Shafton at the phone?' And Lynx sailed in. "'Mrs. Shafton, I got a message from your son, a very private message. He said, "'Would you please send your maid out of the room first before I told you?' She seemed annoyed and hesitant at this, but finally complied. "'Now, Mrs. Shafton, you don't need to get worried at what I'm telling you. Your son ain't dead nor nothing like that, you know, but he's just met with a little accident.' "'No, now, wait a minute till I tell you. "'You don't need to get excited nor nothin'. "'If you just keep calm and do as I tell you, "'it'll all come out all right in the end.' "'He could tell by her voice that she was much excited, "'and that so far his scheme was working well. "'If he could only pull the rest off.' "'He winked one eye jauntily at Shorty, "'who was standing wide-mouthed, bulging-eyed, "'listening, and went on. "'No, he didn't have no collision, ma'am. "'He just got kidnapped, you see.' And not wanting to get found out, naturally, the kidnappers give him a little dope to keep his mouth shut for a while. What's that? Who am I? Well now, Mrs. Shafton, that's tellin', ain't it? I wouldn't want to go so far as that, thought I was sure of your cooperation. What's that? You'll reward me? Oh, thanks, that's what I was figuring about. You see, I'm in rather of a hole myself, that's what. You see, much against my will, I was one of the kidnappers myself, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, much against my will. You see, I'm a farmer's son myself, good and honest and respectable. Never had nothing to do with such doings in my life, my word of honor, lady. But I came to town just to look around and have a bit of fun, and I got in with a bad lot, and they practically compelled me to assist them in this here kidnapping. Oh, I didn't do nothing. Just help to carry him. Oh, ma'am, it ain't that bad. He's still livin' and he'll be all right if you just help me to get him away without there knowing. Yes, ma'am, I'm honest. I'm offering to help you. You see, when I see him laying there on the bed—oh, yes, he's on a bed. I ain't saying how comfortable it is, but it's a bed, and he ain't suffering now. But, of course, if they don't get what they want, they may put him to the torture just to get more out of you all. No, ma'am, don't scream that way, or I'll have to hang up. This is on the QT, you know. What? You don't understand? Well, I was just saying you mustn't let a soul know what's happened, not a soul— If it should get out and his kidnappers should find it out, they'd kill him easy as a fly and no mistake. You gotta go slow on this. Yes, lady, they're desperate characters. I'm saying it. And the sooner you get your son out of their hands, the better for his future, lady. For even if he should escape after they'd been found out, they'd probably lame him for life or put out his eyes or some little old thing like that. So you see, lady, you gotta talk low and take care you don't let on to no one. If you should turn yellow, it'd be all up with little Lori and no mistake. So keep your mouth shut and do as I tell ye, and I'll help ye out. Yes, as I was saying when I seen little Lori layin' there so still and white, my conscience. There, there, lady, don't you take on. As I was saying, my conscience troubled me, and I says, I'm a-goin' to get this fella free. So I figured out a way. You see, lady, there's two of us. "'Me and another feller set to watch him and feed him dope if he tries to wake up, "'and when I get feelin' worried about it, I says to the other feller, "'I was a-goin' to tell his folks, and he says he'll shoot me, "'but I keeps on tellin' him how sinful twas to make a poor mother suffer. "'I got a mother myself, ma'am. "'Yes, ma'am, a good old mother, and she taught me to be honest. "'So I says to the other feller, "'I says, what'll you take and get out? "'And he says, $10,000. "'And I says, all right, I'll get it for you. "'And so now, lady, if I was you, "'I'd pay it right down quick before he changes his mind. "'Cause the other fellas, they was going to ask a million "'and kill him if you didn't fall for it right to onst. "'No, ma'am, I don't want nothing for myself. "'I just want to go back to the old farm "'with a clean conscience. "'What? "'Oh, yes, I want the money right away. "'That is, before morning.' If we can't get him out before morning, it ain't no use, for the other fellas is coming back and move him and we can't do nothing. What? Where is he? I couldn't really say, lady. It wouldn't be allowed. And my mate, he's outside the telephone booth with a loaded revolver holding it up to my head. He's listening, and if I give anything away, he'd shoot me on the spot. So where would your nice-looking son be then? Mrs. Shafton, hadn't you better? That's right, lady. I knew you'd thank me. And yes, now I'll tell you what to do. First place, how much money you got in the house? No, that's not enough. That wouldn't do a mite o' good. It wouldn't be a drop in the bucket. Ain't you got any bonds or jewels or papers? Yes, that's the talk. Now you're shoutin'. Yes, lady, that would do. No, not that. You gotta have something that he can't get caught with. I know you're losing a lot, lady, but you got lots left, and what's money and jewels compared to your only son, ma'am? Why, well, think how he used to look when he wore little white dresses, and used to come to have his head kissed when he fell down. Wasn't he sweet, lady, and he had a pair of little blue shoes, didn't he? I thought so. Say, lady, you're the right sort. I knowed you must be, to be a mother of such a handsome son. Now, lady, could you hustle those things together you spoke of, and any more you may happen to come on, and just put them in a little box or basket, and tie a string on them, and let them down out of your window? It's all I ask.' let them down out of your window. Then you turn out the lights and turn them on again three times real quick, out and in, and that'll be the signal. And after ten minutes, you look out your front window, and off as far as you can see, and I'll flash a signal light to you just to let you know it's all right. And I promise you on my word of honor that you'll hear your own son's voice over that telephone good and early tomorrow morning, and no mistake. But, lady, you mustn't turn yellow and holler and nothin', or we'll fling your jewels and paper back in your yard and let your son die. We ain't goin' to run no chances, you know. You ain't got no dogs, have ye? And which side is your room on? The front? Yes, and which is the easiest way to get to the house without comin' near the servants' quarters? To the right? Yes, I see. And you'll play straight? All right, lady, your son's as good as home now. I'll give you just one hour by the clock to get your stuff together. But mind ya, if you weaken and try to pull the police onto me, I got a way to signal my pal, and he'll have that boy yours shot within five minutes after you call for help. Understand? Oh yes, I know, lady. You wouldn't do no such a thing. But my pal, he made me say that. He's a desperate man, lady, and there ain't no use toying with him. All right, one hour. It's just quarter to eleven. Goodbye. Link came lounging out of the booth, mopping his wet forehead. "'She fell for it all right,' he said, jerking a wan smile, "'but he looked as though the last of his own nerve had gone into the telephone receiver. "'She wanted to put in an extra check, but I told her we'd be generous "'and let it go at what she could find without her name on it. "'Gosh, what fools some women are. "'I thought I got her number all right, a whimperin' fool, a whimperin' little old fool. "'Now, shorty, all we gotta do is collect the boodle. "'It's up to you to watch outside the hedge.' I'm taking all the risks this time myself, and I'm going to ferret my way under that there madam's winder. You stay outside and give me the signal. If you get cold feet and leave me in the lurch, you don't get no dividends, see? End of chapter 12